the activities that you have going on, but I can't think of a better place to be uh, than here with the church in this holy communion of the saints together. Um, so today uh, we will go, we will uh, do our Advent uh, candles for uh, the last time. And so uh, I want to sort of just, since we've done this probably every week, I want to sort of just give you sort of the review of, of what each of the candles mean and their importance. Um, and we will light the middle candle today. Um, the circle that we have up here represents God's never-ending love uh, that he showed to us by sending Jesus to earth. Uh, truly, Jesus is the full circle of God's plan, as we've seen how he worked through the Old Testament, throughout time. Uh, Jesus brings it all together. He wraps it all up. The four candles represent the four Sundays before Christmas Day, uh, one each representing hope, peace, joy, and love. The three purple candles represent the royalty of Jesus as the Son of God and as the King of our lives. The pink candle represents the joy of having Jesus in our lives. The light the candle gives us reminds us that Jesus called himself the light of the world. And I'll light those. I can't talk and light them at the same time. I'm not that. And then the white candle in the center is the Christ candle. It represents the purity of Jesus. The Bible says through, the, uh, through, the, through John, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and darkness did not overcome it. The darkness has not, cannot, and will not overcome the light of Christ. We pray with me this morning. Almighty God, you have caused this holy celebration to shine with the brightness of the true light. Grant that we who, are known, who have known the mystery of the light on earth may make him known to the ends of the earth. We worship you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I'm happy to be here this morning. I'm blessed to be here this morning. I want to give uh, sort of a word to all the kids here today. When I was your age, uh, I hated things like this. I didn't appreciate it. I didn't understand it. I didn't know what, what we were doing. But as I've grown older and as I've seen the importance and the reason for the season, I, when I was a kid, I didn't want anything keeping me from getting into my presence. But as I've gotten older and as I've become mature in my faith, I have seen that there is no place that I would rather be than with the people of God on the day that we have chosen to celebrate the birth of our Savior together, worshiping together. Um, I'm, I'm personally a little wrecked right now, so I'll probably get through it in a minute. 
Um, and I'll be able to go on. I think I'll be all right after that. So our series over the last few weeks has been uh, insightful. It's been uh, amazing. I've enjoyed it so much. I've enjoyed what uh, Blake and Stephen have brought. I've enjoyed what the Lord was able to uh, use to speak through me. Uh, we have seen how the advent of Jesus did not just begin in Bethlehem in 0 AD or whatever you want to call it, but truly uh, it began in the Old Testament. The Old Testament spoke of the Meshik or Messiah, the anointed one. The New Testament calls him Christos, uh, also Messiah or anointed one, Jesus the Christ. It's not like Bryce the Holbrook, it's Jesus the Messiah. It's not his last name, it's his, it's his title, Jesus Christ. He was pictured to us through Adam, through Moses, through Isaac, through David, and many others. He was seen through the Lamb without blemish, the priest, the tabernacle, and the Holy of Holies. The prophets spoke of him and led us right to the feet of Jesus, born of humble origin, God's own Son, the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Genesis twenty-two eighteen says, He is the seed of Abraham in which all nations will be blessed. Numbers twenty four seventeen. He was the one to come, but he was not near to them. A star that came out of Jacob, a scepter that rose out of Israel. Isaiah 11.1 says, He's a shoot that would come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. In Jeremiah 23.5-6, He is the righteous branch of David, a king who would reign wisely and just. He would be called Lord and our Savior. In 2 Samuel 7, 12-13, he is the successor to David, a king whose kingdom would be forever. In Micah 5, 2, he's the ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. In Isaiah 7, 14, we know that he was born of a virgin. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel. The name Emmanuel means God with us and indicates the divinity of Jesus. In Hosea 11:1, 1, he is called the son that is called out of Egypt. It would take a very narrow view for us to look at the stories and the truths and the law written in the Old Testament as mere history and life lessons. It would be a shallow view for us to look at the Levitical law and the words of the prophets and think they only served a meaning and only served as meaningful and purposeful in the past and not today. As we read in 1 Peter, in, our, in the first part of our study of 1 Peter that we've done, the prophets searched diligently as to the time and the circumstances of the Messiah. And all of this is essential because Peter said they were doing this for our benefit. So for one more time during this Advent season, we get to search through the scriptures and pull out the truth of our Savior born that first Christmas for salvation for the salvation of the world. And as a summation of all of these truths, we've, we've come to the introduction of the book of Hebrews, and we see in the introduction, Hebrews 1, this eloquently written summation of the meaning of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, 
in, uh, in words that concern Jesus. Ultimately, what the author of Hebrews tells us is that Jesus is God, that he is the perfect fulfillment as the prophet, priest, and king. I want to spend a short time today explaining how the author of Hebrews ties Jesus um, another time, one more time for our study into the words of the Old Testament. Will you pray with me again? Father God, your word is true, it's faithful, it's never failing, never fading. It has passed the test of history, it's passed the test of all of its dissenters, Lord. You have uh, kept it, you still keep it, it is good for us today. Lord, would you help your word to speak to us, to reign in us supreme as we follow it, as we live it, as we preach it? Would you help us to understand you more every day? Lord, we praise you, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity to worship today on this day that we celebrate your birth. Jesus, we are nothing without you. Thank you for condescending. Thank you for coming to us. Emmanuel, God has come and has tabernacled amongst his people. We praise you for that. We bless you. We honor you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I want you to read with me from Hebrews today. Hebrews 1. Hebrews 1 will we'll read verses 1 through 3. Hebrews 1 verses 1 through 3. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom all also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the radiance of the glory of God. I wasn't going to be okay, I'm sorry. I thought I was going to be okay. And the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Man, it's really hard to read on an iPad with water in your eyes. I want to spend the next few minutes discussing how God was using the men and women, the types and shadows and figures, and the holy scriptures to point people to the ultimate prophet, priest, and king, Jesus Christ. The first thing I want you to see, the first truth I want you to see from Hebrews, Hebrews 1 is that God has been working throughout history to point men to the Son. All of history, the culmination of all of the teachings of God throughout history has been to point men to the Son. Verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 1 says, Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. We have learned over the last few weeks and in many of our studies of the great work of the Lord throughout history that his primary work is to reveal his son. It had been God's plan since the fall of man in the garden to point people to Jesus and his first advent and subsequent work on earth. 
It has been God's plan to make a once and final way back to him since that fall, since that separation, and this was accomplished through the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it was predicted, it was foretold, it was played out, it was imitated throughout all of history. God has been working throughout history to point men to his son, the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. How did he do this? I think Hebrews is going to give us, <coughs> not only Hebrews, but today, Hebrews is going to give us a clear indication of this. How did he do this? God spoke in many times and in many ways. He used many ways and many people um, which we had already discussed, all imperfect and all incomplete, like us, to shine a light on the perfect one and the complete one. In the former days, he spoke, spoke to the prophets and many other ways. God spoke to Adam. He spoke to Abel. He spoke to Enoch. He spoke to Noah. He spoke to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and Moses. And then from Moses to Malachi, the word has been written in history, psalm, proverb, and prophecy. And the prophets were one of the main tools to get this revelation out. Before Jesus ever condescended as a baby, he was on the mouth of Moses. He was in the heart of the priest as they made atonement for their own sin, as they made atonement for the sins of of the people. He was in the longings of David as David prayed to God for a free and prosperous people. And his spirit was in the prophets who gave the people a partial taste of this magnificent plan. Long ago, God spoke in many times and many ways of the perfect Christ who was the fulfillment of all things spoken. I want you to understand this as I bring this up, up this next point under that idea. He is the fulfillment, Jesus is, he is not the fix. You need to understand this, and this may be the misnomer, this may be the misnomer that you have had. This may be the reason why in the past you may have tried to disconnect yourself from the Old Testament. Jesus is the fulfillment of the plan and the word of God. He is not the fix to the word of God. God's word and God's work is not broken. I want you to see this truth that is spoken indirectly through our text today. His word and work has been perfect at every stage. Not only did God speak in many times and many ways before Jesus, but God's work and God's work has always, God's word and God's work has always been perfect. Instead of looking at the Old Testament as broken or incomplete, we need to look at the Old Testament as part of the stages of the plan of God. We can look at the Old Testament like the development of a flower or a baby. Is the seed in the ground that is kept and watered and nourished any less of a plant than the finished product? Can a rose grow without the stages of growth? Is a fertilized human embryo any less of a human than you or me? I would say definitely no. The word of Moses 
was not a broken word. The law he gave was not a broken law. David's testimony was not broken, nor Samuel's. The prophets were not broken, but they were just different stages of the life cycle of the coming Messiah. Not perfect, but perfectly timed and perfectly planted. Not finished, not a finished product, but a necessary stage to get to the beautiful bloom. Jesus did not come to tell us that Moses was wrong. Jesus came to tell us that Moses was the early stages and development of the gospel. Jesus did not come to do away with the law. He wrote the law, and it was his law, and it was perfect. But Jesus instead came to keep the law because the expectation of the law is that we are to be perfect as the law is perfect. And we cannot be perfect. Please don't make the mistake as some Christians make and they think that we can disconnect from the Old Testament because Jesus somehow came and did away with it or trashed it. Uh, he did away with it in the sense that um, it is not primarily part of the salvific process. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It has always been about faith. It has always been by grace through faith that a man is saved, but it is not a part of the sanctifying and salvific process like it was, but it is still nonetheless important, still nonetheless viable. It was not something that needed a fix. It was something that needed an end. It was something that needed a conclusion. Jesus is not the fix to the law. He's not the fix to the Moses, to Moses. He is the conclusion to both. We need to see the Old Testament as part of the cycle and connect ourselves even closer to the cycle of the coming Messiah. I want to tell you, I have never grown more in my faith than when I saw the, old, I saw the New Testament in light of the Old Testament. I've never grown more in my faith. I was hampered in my growth when I tried to see the New Testament as my primary means of growth. But when I saw them working in unity together, when I saw, when I saw how God connected the dots all throughout history, I was overwhelmed by the majesty and glory of the God who wrote those words. It made me want to pursue him more. It made me want to seek him more. And it made me trust him more. To know that in his sovereignty, in his omniscience, in his power and plan, that I have always been a part of that. That you have always been a part of that. Never separated. When we see ourselves as isolated from history, we're making a mistake that a lot of people make. And I think it only hurts, not, it hurts a lot, but it mainly and primarily hurts us. It hurts our spiritual growth. Yes, Moses and David and the prophets were imperfect and flawed, but the plan of God in which they served with great purpose is and was not, and the word of God which they spoke is and was not flawed. I want to draw out one more point to you today, and we'll have a few subpoints under that, obviously, because I can't just have a point without some subpoints, but... God at the perfect time sent his son as the completion of that work. Not, God has not only been working throughout history to point men to the son, but God at the perfect time sent his son as the completion 
of that work. Look at verses 2 and 3 of Hebrews 1. But in, the, in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the power of by the word of his power. <clears throat> After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. No more prophets, no more hidden words, no more pro- partial revelations. All of the questions of the Old Testament can be summed up and answered in Christ. The Messiah has come and he dwells with us. He tabernacles with us. The message is the same The author of Hebrews says, but the messenger is different. The messenger has changed. Instead of flawed representatives, the Lord has brought us his perfect son. The words of the prophets then are not to be diminished like I've already said, but to be cherished now that the fullness has come. The words of the prophet. The words of the prophets, the words that were spoken in many times and many places, can finally be understood. Jesus speaks now. Jesus speaks now. He did not write the Bible with his hand and a pen. Who wrote the Bible? Holy men who were taught by the Holy Spirit. But Jesus speaks to us through these men who were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And there is no authority greater than or equal to the Word of God. I want to throw a little nuclear bomb side sermon to you. Since there is no equal authority or greater authority to Jesus, there is no new revelation. There is no new prophet of like the prophets of old. If someone prophesies today, all they are doing is taking the word of God and making it clear and precise and dividing it out so that we can understand it. There is no equal, there is no greater than Jesus Christ. The reason prophets continue to come until Jesus is because there were equal and there were greater and there were worse. There were prophets that were necessary to continue uh, spreading the word of God, the work of God, and the plan of God. Because there is no equal or greater to Jesus, Jesus has come and there can be no equal message. There can be no greater message. So the message is final. The message is done, it is wrapped up, and it is sealed in Christ. All of the answers of the old covenant are answered in Jesus with a yes and an amen. Jesus speaks now. Everything that could have been spoken and could have been revealed on this earth has been spoken and revealed. Anytime you hear that still small voice in your head and in your heart telling you to do something or not to do something, it is the Spirit of God working through something Jesus has already said. Anytime a friend comes to you and speaks to you about something you should do or something you should not do that gives you advice or you give advice to a friend or you show love and concern about a friend in a situation that they're going through or a family member or someone else, it is the still small voice of Jesus, of something that Jesus has already spoken. There's no new need. There's no need for new prophecy like in the Old Testament. Uh, that isn't the way God speaks anymore. 
A long time ago, in days of past, God spoke in many times and many ways through the prophets, but today he speaks through Jesus. He now finally and singularly has spoken through his son. The author of Hebrews goes on to tell us some magnificent truths about Jesus, and I want to leave those with you today. We're going to sort of rapid fire this, and I'm going, to keep, I'm going to hold to my promise of letting you out early for all your Christmas festivities. But hopefully still you know that I haven't done anything to uh, uh, minimize or diminish the Word of God here today. I hope that I've rightly divided that for you today. A few truths that we have left, a few magnificent truths about Jesus that the author of Hebrews says, and I just want to, I just want to go through those because I think they're beautiful. The first is this: Jesus is the heir of all things and the creator of the world. But in the last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. Colossians one sixteen says, "Jesus is the preeminent one." John said that nothing that, has, nothing that was created was created apart from him. Jesus was present at creation and worked along with the Father and the Spirit to create all things. For a time, he controlled, he put down his deity, his Godhead, to be a servant and a sacrifice. But now is at the Father's right hand, rightly so, and as king, as preeminent as not creator but not created but eternally existing he is the heir and controls all things could anyone but the creator control and hold and command the creation this is why jesus when he faced the storms uh, with the disciples he was able to speak and the waters stood still it's why he was able to command the body to be healed, command the eyes to see, command the legs to walk. Because all matter, all creation is held up by him. The wave doesn't crash against the shore at the right time, and it does take on the shore at the right time because of Jesus. The sun rises and the moon goes to its appointed place because of Jesus. Our hearts continue to tick. The air is filled with our, in our lungs because of Jesus. Jesus is the heir of all things and the creator of the world. Jesus is the radiance of the Father's glory. Verse, uh, chapter 1 verse 3 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. The sun now radiates the light of of the Father. He radiates the light of God's glory, His perfection, and majesty. Jesus Himself is light, and His light is perfectly attuned to the light of the glory of the Father. And we beheld the glory, John says, the glory of the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. <clears throat> the word radiance here only occurs. Uh, the Greek word for the word radiance only occurs here in the New Testament. And it means light out of light. Light out of light. Theologian, a theologian named Linsky, his last name is Linsky, said this. This is the sun shining out of the original light, 
but participating in its essence and viewed by itself. If that's not some sort of inception type stuff for you today, um, uh, I don't know what is. It is this. It is God, it is Jesus being the light of God, meaning the source of the light, but also being the light that shines back on the light. And being able to see and be and know and do all of those things because he is God. So for us, we're, we're, we're finite. We're, we're, um, we, we have a, a very limited ability to understand these things. But somehow, Jesus, uh, because he's God, not somehow, because he's God and because he's infinite and because he's not created and all of those wonderful things, um, he is the light but he is also the light that shines on the light. He is seeing himself in what he's doing. He is the radiance of God. He is the radiance of the glory of the Father. Jesus is the exact imprint of the Father's nature is the third truth you need to see today. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus and God are one and the same. So if it, uh, I, I teach my kids right now because they're trying to be good students of the Bible, some, um, they say, I love Jesus and I love God. And I say, you know what? You say one and you say both. They're the exact imprint. I think it's good. And I think even adults do that sometimes. You know, we're like, uh, you know, Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit. I love all of them. You know, when you say one, when you say something about one, you are saying something about all because Jesus is the exact imprint of the Father's nature. If one member of the Godhead is mentioned to be working in the Bible, they are all working alongside him in the same way to assist and literally do the work that he is doing. Jesus is the exact imprint of the will of God, the plan of God, the purpose of God, the nature of God, and the glory of God. The word here is referring to a minted coin. The idea of imprint is referring to a minted coin. The wording means a precise reproduction of the original, which still doesn't do it justice, but this is, this is the humanized uh, way so we can, we can understand it. A precise reproduction of the original. The Father and the Son and the Spirit are the same. John said in John 14, He who has seen the Son has seen the Father. I think you understand this, but I do want to note something. I do want to note this for you. <clears throat> imprint is not what Christ has received from God. Christ in his nature, because he has eternally existed as God, is the exact imprint of God. It's, only, it's like saying Blake Bostic is the exact imprint of Blake Bostic. That's what it's like saying. It's similar to that. That's not a perfect illustration, but you get the point. Because he has eternally existed as God, it's like saying God looks like God. Um, obviously, Jesus, God, and the Spirit are three uh, separate beings. They're three in one. But it, um, the imprint is not what Christ has received from God, but what he is for us. Do you understand the difference? Jesus has eternally existed it is not what, it, he did not receive this imprint. It's not like God was creating things and he created Jesus and he stamped Jesus and he said, this is just like me. No, it is God coming to earth, Emmanuel, God dwelling with us, and he says, here I am 
with you. It is not what God gives to Jesus, it's what God gives to us. I think that's vastly important to understand. Uh, I know that you get it in principle, but we need to understand and be able to delineate that truth. Like the Father, like the Spirit, He just is. Not created, not made. But for us, we need to know about Him. And for us, it is necessary to know that the Christ in the New Testament is the same as the God of the Old Testament. It's the same God that we hear in the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's the same God that we hear about in the New Testament where the Spirit of the Lord and the Lord and, uh, was hovering over the ground before creation. <coughs> it's the same God that is making man in our image. <coughs> Jesus is the exact imprint of the Father's nature. Another truth, Jesus is the creator and sustainer of all things. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And I sort of got ahead of myself because I got excited and I said some of this earlier. So you'll just have to listen to this on repeat. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He is not only creator, but he is sustainer of the universe. He speaks and by his word all things are preserved. This is matter held together. This is our bodies being held together. This is the chair that you sit in being held together. This is the sun rising. This is the rain happening. This is the snow happening and pipes bursting. This is all of God upholding, as, as chaotic as it may often seem, this is all of God upholding his plan and his purposes in the world, not only for the world, but specifically for his people. But more than that, friends, I need you to hear this. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Where does faith come, according, where does faith come from according to Romans 10, 17? And hearing from the word. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word. And God is upholding all things with the word of his power. Friends, can I give you some reassurance today? That if your faith came in the way that God has prescribed from hearing and hearing from the word of God. If your faith came from the word of God and God is upholding all things by the word of his power. Then your faith right now is being upheld by the word of God both now and forever. You are being kept by God, not because you were good, not because you deserved it, not because you prayed a prayer, not because you're, you have a family history of church, not because you do good works, not because uh, people like you. You are being upheld today in your salvation by the word of God because the word of God in power upholds the, the whole world, upholds all things. He is the creator and sustainer of all things. He is the alpha and the omega of the world. He is the alpha and the omega of faith itself. And we are upheld eternally because of his word and the power of his word and his word alone.
Jesus is the creator and sustainer of all things. And the last thing I want to give you today, and it's sort of, I believe, sort of the summation of the story of the Old Covenant. Um, And really, there's probably, we need to have a series on it instead of the last point of the last five minutes of the Christmas Day sermon. But uh, you'll bear with me because I'm sure if the Lord tarries and gives us enough time, we'll talk about it again. But Jesus is the perfect prophet, priest, and king. Look at the last part of verse 3. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The author of Hebrews has already said that Jesus was the perfect prophet. He said in many times and in many ways... It's been, the word has been spoken through these imperfect prophets. They could not quite get it right. But when Jesus came to earth, he accomplished this. Now the message of God is spoken through the Son. Jesus is the perfect prophet. While the words of the prophets foretold of the coming Messiah, when the Messiah came, he told us of his present action. And everything he has said as the perfect prophet fulfills and supersedes any other word. If you want a word of God, if you want to be fulfilled or if you want to be filled by that booming voice of the Lord, of his plan and his purposes, turn your eyes upon Jesus. He is the great prophet. He's also the great priest. The author of Hebrews said, after making purifications for sin, this was the work, this was after all the work of the priest to make purification for sin. The priests of the old covenant were imperfect people just like you and me. And after they served for a time, they would have, been, they would have died and they would have been mostly forgotten. But their work was to make forgiveness, to make sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins. And so this is how it sort of took place in a very brief way. They were imperfect, they were sinful, they would have to first make sacrifices for themselves to cleanse themselves, and then after they were cleansed, they would make sacrifices for the people. We know that these sacrifices were incomplete, they were a dull image of the work of Christ, they were not a once and for all sacrifice, but they were an over and over and over and over and continual sacrifice. The work of the priest of the old covenant was never done. Jesus was, however, holy. Jesus, however, was blameless. Jesus, however, was undefiled. So not only was the high priest, so not only was he the high priest who was able to offer the once and for all final sacrifice, but he was the sacrifice. The high priest could not sacrifice themselves to rem- to to pay for the sins of the people. The high priest had to have sacrifices for themselves. They had to sacrifice for themselves. They could not have sacrificed themselves to pay for the sins of the people. But Jesus, the perfect son of God, needed no man, needed no beast to sacrifice for him. And therefore, as the spotless lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, he offered to make <coughs> forgiveness for our sins. He made the purification for our sins. Psalm 110 says, You are a priest forever. Speaking of Jesus. And Hebrews 7 says, That his oath will never be changed or nullified. 
He completed the work for us that mere man could not complete, that broken men could not accomplish, and that an incomplete law he concluded. He is the perfect prophet. He is the perfect priest. And he is the perfect king. After he died, he ascended to heaven. After he rose again, he ascended to heaven. And he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The great commission... (coughs) Sorry, not getting emotional, just getting a little... (coughs) Not this time. The great commission in Matthew 28 says, All authority has been given to me. Jesus is the perfect king with all authority. Fallen humankind, friends, needs a champion. We need someone to defeat evil. We need someone to defeat sin. We need someone to defeat death on our behalf. We also need protection from sin and those who seek to harm us. Humans need a king. And the only perfect king is Christ. He loves his people so much that he became man so that he could die for our sins and defeat death once and for all. By the power of his spirit, he fights sin in our life. He protects us from all outside forces and will never let us escape the grasp of his reign. We are now citizens of a heavenly kingdom and one day evil will be once and finally defeated by our sovereign Lord. Just like the stages throughout history One day another stage will come of a full and final reign of Jesus. Just like you shouldn't mistake the Old Testament for needing to be something that needed for needing to be something that needed to be fixed, you shouldn't mistake Jesus' patience for weakness. The Bible says the Lord does not consider don't count. Basically, um, I learned this in King James Version, so I'm gonna have to give you the uh, Bryce American Standard Version. The Bible says, don't Take advantage of the Lord's slackness concerning your sin. Don't take advantage of the Lord's patience concerning your sin. Don't consider it a weakness that the Lord withholds his judgment from the earth. It's not a weakness that God has not returned. It is grace. It is mercy. Now for us who belong to him, it's sort of, um, it's sort of a deferment of grace, right? It's the firm and a full grace. But for those who do not belong to Christ, he, he withholding his return is grace. It's not weakness. It's an opportunity for more men everywhere, people everywhere, to repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is the perfect prophet. No word he ever spoken was false. No word that he ever spoken can be superseded. There is no equal. He is the perfect priest. He has made... Forgiveness. He has worked to make forgiveness of our sins. He paid. He not only was able to work the purification out as the high priest, but he was able to be the sacrifice to pay for our sin. And he is king. He reigns supreme. And one day he will reign. He reigns fully, but one day we will experience the fullness of his reign. This Advent season and every day, we do not worship a baby in a manger. We do not worship a mere human. We do not even worship the image of Christ on a cross. We worship a risen Lord who reigns both now and forever. A prophet who spoke in power, who worked in great deed. 
a priest who made the sacrifice for us, but also was the sacrifice for us, a king who reigns both now and forever, one God, Emmanuel, the God who tabernacled with his people. Let us celebrate the true spirit of Christmas this year in this knowledge with power and praise to his great name. Let's pray. Oh God, you are so wonderful. What a measure of your great grace and mercy to tabernacle with your people. To come and be a part of our lives. Lord, it was necessary for man to die for the sins of man, but we could not pay for our own sins because we are imperfect. We are sinners ourselves. We are broken ourselves. But Lord, even though you did not, it was, it was not, you, you could have not left heaven. You could have stayed in heaven. You could have withheld this great grace. You left your seat in heaven to become both God and man, to live a perfect life, to be the perfect sacrifice, to raise again from the dead, to pay the penalty for our sin, to purchase us a place in heaven, to give us eternal life with you. God, let the words of this gospel today, let the words of this truth wreck us today as it pertains to our priorities. Let us enjoy the spirit of this season. Let us enjoy the opportunity to give and to receive. But Lord, let us be enamored. Let us be enthralled. Let us be changed by the Advent child. We love you so much. We praise you. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you for bringing your son. It's in the name of Jesus we pray and ask these things. Amen.